We are in Christ. If you've got your Bibles, turn to John chapter 7. We're actually going to begin in verse 37 today. We're going to get to chapter 8, verses 12 through 20. Let me just ask you a question. How many sermons would you like this morning? Because <laughs> I've got about six different sermons that we could do today. But we're going to try to do our best to stay in John. Uh, the second I am statement. Last week, I am the bread of life. This week, I am the light of the world. I want to thank the band this morning. Wow, isn't it good to have Carrie back? Yeah. Just big band, lots of people up here. You guys led us well this morning. And Pastor Daniel, what poignant words God gave you to lead us in communion. God is good. Let's pray and get started. Lord Jesus, you are good. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. God, forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. In Jesus' name, everybody said... Amen. Chapter 7, verse 37, little context. A little something we can touch, wrap ourselves around as we hear God's word. Jesus is in Jerusalem. He's not in Jerusalem very much during his three years of earthly ministry. He's actually uh, a Galilee, and he, he's uh, north of Jerusalem for most of his ministry. But every male Jew in the ancient world was required. If you lived within 20 miles of Jerusalem, you were required by Jewish law uh, to come to Jerusalem, to come to the temple for three of the feasts that were annual. Jesus is in Jerusalem in John chapter 7 and 8 because of the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles. This is a feast in which for seven days, God's people remembered their God as he led their ancestors through the wilderness, out of Egypt, and into the promised land. They were, for seven days, they constructed booths or tabernacles in which they slept and ate for that week. They took sticks and erected these booths. Rabbinical law said that the walls of the booths had to be thin enough to where you could see light through. And the roof of the structure that, was, that the people constructed had to be able to see the stars through. It was a reminder of God's provision, God's providence, God's protection over his people. So Jesus is in town for this Reason celebrating this annual feast that all Jews celebrated annually. In verse 37, there are two ceremonies that happen during the Feast of Booths. Every morning during this feast, God's people would gather at the temple. 
And in one hand, they had a citrus fruit showing God's bountiful blessings over God's people in the wilderness. And in the other hand, they held palm, willow, and myrtle branches showing this, uh, the trajectory uh, of, of, the, uh, of how God moved them through the wilderness and into the promise. And so they would come and they would wave their sticks and they would hold their citrus fruit and, and the high priest would stand before them and he'd have a golden pitcher. And he would quote, they would, they would sing psalms together when the high priest thought it was ready. He would lead this crowd of people to the pool of Siloam. Now, we know a lot about this pool. Uh, a lot of sick people gathered around it. There was a, uh, a tradition that when an angel stirred the waters, they, uh, they provided healing for the first person who could get in the pool. But in actuality, historically, the Pool of Siloam is fed by the only fresh spring. It was, it was the, the cleanest, uh, purest drinking water that would feed the entire city of Jerusalem. It would give water to the entire city of Jerusalem. They would take this golden pitcher. The priest would lead the people to the Pool of Siloam and he would dip the pitcher into the water, quoting from Isaiah chapter 12 and verse 3. Put it on the board quickly, if you will. High priest would dip the pitcher in the pool of Siloam, and he would say, with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And then he would lead the people back to the third temple, Herod's temple, we call it. And he would walk around the great altar there in the sanctuary of the priests, the court of the priests. And then he and other priests would follow him up the stairs to the altar and he would pour that pitcher, that water over the altar and the people would rejoice. They would lose their minds. Every morning they did this during the Feast of Booths. This is where Jesus says this. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Jesus had a moment coming on the cross where he would take his perfect life and die in our place for our sins. And the spirit would be given after that at the day of Pentecost. You can read the prophecy in Joel chapter 2 and its fulfillment in Acts chapter 2. But Jesus said on this last day, and every day they did this water ceremony as they poured water on the altar, Jesus proclaimed, if you are thirsty, come and drink of me and rivers of living water will flow from you as a result. This is who Jesus is. We're in the I am statements of Christ and John. Big Jesus! You remember those old hefty commercials? Wimpy, wimpy, wimpy. Hefty, hefty. This is, I don't know what's happening anymore. This is big Jesus. Jesus wasn't just a good guy. He wasn't just a prophet or a seer or a wise man. 
He is the one you can drink from and never thirst again. That's who Jesus is, the fulfillment of the water ceremony at the Feast of Booze. Let's read verse 40 into chapter 8 quickly because this actually sets up very nicely for something we're going to do a little later. Because people are trying to figure out what does Jesus mean? Who is this guy? Drink from him? He's living water? He's the bread of life? Who is this guy? And the crowds just like they are today, are divided. People don't know what to do with a man who speaks like Jesus spoke. Verse 40, when they heard these words, some of the people said, this really is the prophet. Now that statement may not mean anything to you some 2,000 years later, but in the first century, everybody, when you said the prophet, everybody knew who you were talking about Moses the great leader of God's people who led them out of Egypt said there's going to come a prophet after me who is greater than I the people didn't know who that was so they just referred to the prophet some people thought this is who Moses was speaking about and it certainly was others said this is the Christ the Messiah some recognized Jesus in his foretold role that they had grown up on all the prophets, not just what Moses said about a coming prophet, but all the prophecies about a savior that was coming. Some in the first century recognized Jesus as being the Messiah, the Christ, the woman with the issue of blood. She reached out to grab the hem of his garment. Why? She was making a statement. I believe you are who we have been waiting on. And there must be, according to Malachi, healing in the hems, the wings of your garment. This is who Jesus was. Some believed he's the Christ, but some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? How many of you come from the wrong side of the tracks? I've got a really sad picture. I'm going to show you guys one day. I was born in a single wide trailer home. I was born in a hospital. (laughs) My parents were that bad. But... uh, Where we lived when I was born, Fredericksburg, Virginia, single wide trailer. Man, my parents had absolutely nothing. Many of you share those stories. Jesus is from the wrong side of the trash. He's from the wrong place. Nothing good comes from Galilee. That was the statement in the first century. So some people in this crowd watching the things that Jesus was doing, hearing the words that Jesus was speaking, they're going, this can't be anybody of importance. I mean, he's saying amazing things, but the guy's from Galilee. Nothing good comes from Galilee. They forgot, we're going to see, even the, the leaders of the Jewish people had forgotten that he would be a Nazarene. Everybody knew he was going to be born of the house of David, from Bethlehem, the house of bread, which Jesus was born there. 
But he was also raised in a place called Nazareth who worked a blue-collar job swinging a hammer as a carpenter like his earthly stepfather Joseph. And all of a sudden, three years, Jesus changes the world through his earthly ministry. People are going... Is the Christ to come from Galilee? Verse 42. Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? Christ did, just so you know. So there was a division among the people over him. They didn't know what to do with Christ. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him, even though the Pharisees had sent the temple guard to arrest him, as we read in verse 45. The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, Why did you not bring him? We told you to get him. And the officers answered, No one ever spoke like this man. And the Pharisees answered them, Have you also been deceived? Have you been tricked by the charlatan selling his snake oil in the temple? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? Look, here's a reason why you shouldn't believe in him. Because we don't, and we're the leaders. Don't you just, man, don't leaders just stink? And I is one. <laughs> so take it from this leader. Leaders are terrible people. <clears throat> they always get it wrong. They just get it so wrong. Have any of the authorities of the Pharisees believed in? But this crowd that does not know the law is a curse. These people don't know their Bibles. It's what the Pharisees, what the scribes say. They're being deceived by this Jesus because they don't know the law. Oh, the law kills. But the Spirit gives life. Verse 50, Nicodemus, who we meet in John chapter 3 who comes to meet with Jesus at night, who had gone out before, who was one of them, said to them, does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? And they replied, his own peers replied to him, are you from Galilee too? Just slamming them. You cannot believe in this Man, search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee, except they missed that little prophecy that he would be called a Nazarene. Crowds are, Jesus says at this great ceremony, come to me and drink. Have your fill. Never thirst again. And the, some believe. But the leaders are obsessed with getting rid of him. Send officers to get him. Believe he's deceiving the people cannot see who he truly is. And this is the point. Why did we walk through that before we get to verse 12 in chapter 8? Because God's people are blind and in darkness. How can they see in the dark? This is when we meet Jesus, this second great ceremony on the last day, which we know it's the last day of the Feast of Booths. There was this special ceremony on the last night. We're in the next morning in verse 12. But that night before, on the last day of the Feast of Booths, there's a great 
ceremony called the illumination of the temple. Four huge pillars were erected outside of the court of the priests, just through the Nicanor Gate in the, what we know as the treasury or the court of the women. Twelve, some, uh, some say 13 receptacles there where you had to give for the pigeons. And you, there's all these things you had to give for. All that happened in what we call the treasury. Or where the women would gather to worship God within the temple walls. It's here. Four pillars were erected. It would take only the young and the healthy priest could climb the ladders to get to the top of these pillars where four candelabra, we've, you know the Jewish menorah, four pillars with four candelabra on top of them, the bowls of each of the, the candlesticks of those candelabras at the top of the temples, the bowls would hold 65 liters of oil. They were as high as the highest walls in the temple. You see, you guys know what a two liter of Coke looks like, right? 65 liters of oil each of the bowls on top of the candelabra would hold. Four pillars, four candelabra. And so these walls in here, I think, are 28 feet high, much higher. Huge pillars, huge candelabra. And on the last night of the Feast of Booths, young priests would climb up and they would light each of the, the candlesticks on that menorah, that, that candelabra, uh, candelabra on top of each of these four pillars. And the light would illuminate the entire temple. But scholars, rabbinical literature teaches us that almost the entire city of Jerusalem would be illuminated, would be lit up as these candelabra we're, we're lit on the last day of the Feast of Booths. Just, just, it was, oh, Josephus says it was spectacular, the sight. The men of Israel would each take a torch in their hand and they would light the torch and they would come into where these uh, pillars were erected and they would dance all night long with lit torches, celebrating the God who reveals himself, the God who turns the light on as God's people in the wilderness didn't know where to go. It was God who led them. The smoke from the fire represented the cloud by day and the fire reminded them of the fire at night in which God led his people through the wilderness. They couldn't see. They couldn't get to where they were going. God had to lead them. had to show them the way they would dance all night long. Isn't it funny how weird and stuffy religious people get? It's not our heritage. I don't know why Footloose was such a big movie in the 80s. But I was raised by those stuffy religious people in that movie. You can't dance. God's people danced all night long with torches. Crazy. It is the morning after this great scene. The smoke from the candelabra still moving into the air. 
It's here where Jesus says in verse 12, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am. Ego me in the Greek. I am, I am. He is saying that he is the same God that spoke to Moses through the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3. There is not even scholars who don't who read the Bible but don't believe the Bible. Even they say this is a direct reference to the name of God that Jesus is referring to himself as. Jesus says with these four pillars in his backdrop. Uh, look at verse 20 quickly. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. But no one arrested him because his hour, underline that, had not yet come. There's two different words in Greek for time, chronos and kairos. Chronos is linear time as, as we think of it uh, in our calendar year. But, but the word Jesus refers to here is, is a special moment, a moment pregnant with purpose, with meaning. Jesus will fulfill his hour, but it's not quite here. But he is in the treasury. These four pillars still smoking behind him as he looks to the people and he says, I am the light of the world. There's a lot we could talk. You, you want to hear some sermons? There's a lot we could talk through about the Motif of light, especially throughout the Old Testament. Look at this slide quickly. Light is symbolic throughout Scripture in many, many ways. Quickly, again, each one of these is its own sermon as we, ref as we talk about what Jesus means when he says, I am the light of the world. The light represented the glory and the presence of God in leading his people. The light represented protection of Israel from the Egyptians. Do you remember as the Egyptians are coming through that Red Sea and God's people are already on the other side? Do you remember what happens? Uh, that great fire in the sky that was leading God's people, it rests upon Israel while the cloud comes over the Egyptians, throwing them into confusion and a panic so that they turn back and retreat and that's when uh, the Red Sea swallows them up. It's what the light symbolized, what it represented, the blindness of the Egyptians while God led his people and protected them from the Egyptians. Israel sang in the Psalms, God is my light and my salvation. I've been singing a lot lately. Shows you how happy I am in Christ. You still pursuing them? What do we need in 2022? More of Jesus. He is the light and our salvation. God's word was seen as a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. It was God's light shed in revelation and salvation. If you have not read, please take a picture of this. Read Ezekiel 1-4. 
verse 13, and then later in 26 through 28, and you will see in the Old Testament a picture of this Jesus who did come, who did live the perfect life, who did die in our place for our sin. You'll see him sitting on a throne. The living creatures we talked about last week, they're all there in Ezekiel chapter 1, this beautiful big picture of King Jesus that makes Ezekiel fall to the ground on his face. Before him, the revelation of God himself, our salvation and redemption. The Messiah, Isaiah says, would be a light. He would show the way for the nations, all the Gentile peoples. We're in the room today because our great Messiah, Jesus Christ, has taken the scales off of our blind eyes and revealed himself and shown us the way, the same way he showed his people out of Egypt. The Lord himself will be the light for his people. And we give the Son a lot of credit. Not the Son of God, the Son, the S-U-N. Right? It warms us, it brings light in the day so that we can see. But you know, God didn't create the sun, the moon, and the stars until the fourth day. And he gave us the sun, the moon, and stars. Why? So we could have a calendar and we could track movements and we could understand chronos, linear time, and also so we could see during the day and even limited sight at night. God gave us physical eyes and gave these physical cosmic bodies to us so that we could see in the physical. But what did God, what's the first thing that came out of God's mouth in Genesis chapter 1? In the beginning, God, what was he doing? He was creating something outside of himself. He was creating time and space and it was the Father who will and it was the Holy Spirit who was hovering and doing uh, the creative work of God through. Right? We see the Trinity in Genesis chapter 1 through the spoken word of God. The Father, the Spirit, and then the Logos. The word, the, the, where we get the English word logic, the very logic understanding of God spoken and revealed how on day one, verse three of chapter one of Genesis, let there be light. It wasn't the sun, it wasn't the moon, it wasn't the stars. That was later. Those were physical realities for physical eyes. But God, through his logos, through his word, reveals himself within his creation, space and time that he is bringing together to bring sight, not to physical eyes, but he shows himself. This is what Jesus means. I am the light of, we're blind, we're deaf, we're dumb, but we see the revealed will of God. We see God himself in the face of Christ. We don't have to be 
blind any longer. That's why we sing amazing grace. I once was blind, but now I see. In the face of Christ, we see God at work within humanity, within space and time. Let there be light. This is who Christ is. Look at John chapter 1 quickly. I didn't give you this, but John chapter 1, first five verses. Again, John writing about the deity of Christ, which is why the gospel of John begins at creation. God wasn't created. Jesus wasn't a created being. He was before. He's the one who brought creation into being. Colossians says everything that was made was made through him and made for him. That he holds all of space and time. Our entire existence right, is held together in Christ who reveals himself. In the beginning was the word, logos. And the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Here's the good news today. We live in a dark world, but darkness cannot overcome the light. If I'd have thought about it, I would have brought in a little laser pointer. We would have turned all the lights. If we could have blocked uh, the sun from these windows, and if we could have turned everything off, and it'd be pitch black in here. It just takes one little beam of light to disperse the darkness. Darkness will never overcome the light. And Jesus is the light as dark as it may seem today. The darkness will never overcome light. Several years ago, I was invited to a seminary in Germany to teach what we call a J-term. An intensive week-long course. Did you know, many of you are maybe in school, you can get three credit hours from taking a class one week, it's pretty good. Who needs a semester when you can get a class done in a week? The only drawback is it's Monday through Friday, eight hours a day to get that three credit course. So they asked me to come and teach a class on hermeneutics at the European Theological Seminary in Germany. I went for one reason and one reason only. I knew the past president of this school and I knew who he was and I knew what he believed and I knew the darkness that he was pouring into these young kids who come to a seminary because they want to do something for God they want to learn about God I knew the garbage that he was pouring into them because I've debated this guy several times publicly we were actually friends we grew up went through high school together we were in youth group together both went into ministry at the same time. And he started out like everyone starts out. Loving Jesus, opening his Bible. But then this, the snake eggs that someone planted in him began to crack. And I began to see 
the error of his teaching. He, he started out innocent enough, just, just egalitarian, start, starting to twist the Bible and, and say things that the Bible didn't say. And I thought, okay, you know. And I called him on the phone and I would talk to him. Well, what do you do with this verse? And what do you do with that verse? Well, well you know, that's in there. You know. But, 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 but. Egalitarianism quickly moved into, he became quite an advocate for the LGBTQ community uh, within the church, if that's even a thing. It's not in reality, but in our world today, there's a lot of churches that aren't churches, have movements that are in error according to God's words. He, be, he began to, to get into all this, became this great activist. He was doing conferences and everybody was coming and he had all these stories about people and their feelings. And, but he had no scripture. He pastored a great church for a while. But lost that job. He was the president of this seminary for a while. Lost that job. Today he is a divorced man. His wife is a lesbian married to a Unitarian female pastor. Ideas have consequences. In this world, there is darkness. The good news is we have a light that has shown himself. We can know the truth from error. The first day, Hermeneutics 101, I spent the entire day with my Bible opening, showing them why we need a course on hermeneutics because there is falsehood. There are lies that come from the father of lies. There is a second narrative out there that's being proclaimed. Today we might call it fake news. Eight hours starting in Genesis, moving through Revelation, just showing them the reality of falsehood that exists in the world. I'm going to take you on a little trip today. Don't worry, we're not going to go through every book of the Bible. I've broken the Bible up into groups. Jesus referred to the Old Testament as the, the law, the Psalms, and the prophets. We're going to look at one verse from each of those genres to expose the fact that there is a liar and a lie that is presented. It started way back in the garden. Satan himself, God gives everything to Adam and Eve. Just one tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Stay away from that tree. Tree wasn't bad. They looked at it, everything God makes is good, amen? But God's command was just that one, leave it alone. Not because supernaturally something crazy would happen, if they ate it, but if they ate it, they would have broken the command of God and evil sin came into the world as a result. What did, how did Satan deceive Adam and Eve to do this thing that God said not to? They had everything else at the fingertips. What does Satan do? He calls Adam and Eve to mistrust God. 
He defamed the character of God. God's holding back from you. There's so much more you can be, you can have, you can be like God. He doesn't want you. So they did not trust in the character and the goodness of God any longer. They believed the lie. The lie that's espoused still today. Look at Deuteronomy. First five books of the Bible, we have the law. Look, this isn't the only place in the law you're going to see the falsehood of Satan. The prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. In the ancient world, there were people who were speaking things that were not from God. How do we know if it's from God? It's in this book. God has revealed himself. Anyone who speaks something other than this is false, not to be listened to. In the wisdom literature, in the Psalms, look at this next verse. Jer- God, sorry, not the Psalms, the prophets. We're going to the prophets next. Jeremiah 23, I love this one. Thus says the Lord of hosts, do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, filling you with vain hopes. They speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. How does every prophet speak that is recorded in this Old Testament? Thus saith the Lord. There are people who speak from their own minds. We're going to get to 2 Timothy chapter 4 in a minute. Look in the Gospels, Matthew chapter 24, the great Olivet Discourse of the Lord, 24-24 of Matthew For false Christ, Jesus said this, for false Christ and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray. If possible, even the elect, God's people chosen by him in Christ. Error, falsehood. Blindness. Why are the the scribes against Jesus? Why do they want to kill him? Because they're blind. They can't see the truth. It's possible even, even the church of Jesus Christ. This is how heavy, weighty falsehood is going to become for even the elect could be turned without the protection, provision from God himself, who is the light, who will lead us, guide us, keep us safe from the Egyptian army. Look next at Acts chapter 20. Boy, this will scare you. Acts is the great historical book of the New Testament. Paul is speaking to the elders in the church, the leaders Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which He obtained with His own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock from the leaders within If we could just be like the New Testament church. Just keep your eyes on Jesus. 
New Testament church was just as bad as the church we see in our country right now in 2022. Lost, blind, deaf, dumb, ignorant of God's word. Among the leaders, fierce wolves are going to come. They're going to twist. They're going to distort. They're going to do what Satan did. They're going to take God's word. They're going to twist it so they can build crowds to follow them. We call them bloggers today. Well, they don't, want, they don't want to do any of the hard work. They don't want to sit down with you and help work through. No, they just want to be the experts from their mom's basements. Building the crowds to follow them because they're so smart. 2 Timothy chapter 4, let's go there. I'm going to turn in my, oh, I've only got four minutes. Awesome. It's actually starting chapter 3, verse 16, because here's where we, Jesus, I am the light of the world. You don't have to walk in darkness. There is a light. That's why we have this great verse that I quote all the time. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction. Why did God speak? Because we're going to get it wrong. Your mind, your thoughts, the way you see the world is skewed through your nature that Scripture calls depraved. You're going to get it wrong. I'm going to get it wrong. So God has spoken to correct us, to reprove us, that we might be equipped for every good work. Chapter 4, let's read these first four verses quickly. Paul speaking to a young leader in the New Testament church in Ephesus, Timothy, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing and His kingdom. Make sure you have a men's ministry. Get together and bowl at least once a month. I charge you, preach the word. Not your word, the word. Logos, the knowledge, the logic of God fully revealed in the person and work of Christ Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. You got no Jesus, you got no word, you got no light. You're going to get it wrong. You're going to be lost in your blindness. So stick to the word. Preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke. Exhort. If everybody likes you, you are not preaching the word. The Bible calls it the fear of man. It's not just you're afraid of people. It's, it's the desire that we all have to be liked, to be celebrated, to be lifted up. That's why Jesus said, count it joy. When they revile you, when they speak evil of you, 
That means you're doing something right. That means you're staying faithful and true to what God has spoken. Because in this world is darkness. And people love darkness. They celebrate darkness. If they're celebrating you, it might be that you're not walking in the light. Exhort, rebuke, reprove with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure. They will not sit through sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Listen, there's a lot of things that you could listen to this morning that would make you feel so good. <laughs> You're a champion. You are. You're God's best. The heavens are going to... If you'll just sow a seed, the heavens are going to open and wealth and riches are going to... Fall on you like rain from glory. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Big Jesus. Big Jesus. All around us, darkness exists. But just like Jesus said he was, he is the light that dispels the darkness and leads us in truth, giving us the ability to see what others cannot see. It's who Jesus is. He is the light. Of the world. Let's pray. Oh Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your word. God, we could spend all day never exhausting the power, the depth, the weightiness of your glory. Lord Jesus, may your people this morning see you as the light that dispels the darkness, in which the darkness shall never overcome. May we leave here today illuminated by the spectacular beauty of your light. It is in Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. amen.